أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم We reached the uh, chapter on taqwa which I personally feel like is a very very important chapter um, although he doesn't spend too much time on this chapter. Um, I think a lot of the things that he's said in the past would apply here as well. And this is the final chapter before he gets into some other matters. So till here, he was talking about removing barriers. And so today even we're going to talk about that. But then moving on, he's, he's going to move into a whole new part of this stages of akhlaq which is actually the actual ranks and stages of and, elev- and uh, of elevation let's call it so today we want to finish taqwa inshallah he has some important points here taqwa he he mentioned three pillars for taqwa right we we covered this before number 1 was a little bit of fear of god it's okay to fear god and of course, you know, they have explained how if it's not really fear of God, it's really fear of our own actions and what the, the implications of our own actions. Allah is just the one who executes that which we have decided for ourselves. Or else God doesn't have problems, you know, or is not something to be fearful of. Our own actions. Yeah, because I've noticed that people try to say, no, let's not say fearing Allah. No, what's wrong with fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Um, in the beginning stages, that's the way to go or else people will not get off their backs. They, Allah, ha, we have to be a little fearful of something. Call it God, call it our own actions, whatever. And then he says the second pillar is to stay away from these sins. If there's a sin, I'm going to go to the side. I'm going to stay away from it. And finally, he says this refraining even should be done with an intention of qurbatan ilallah to seek closeness to Allah through refraining from sin and I explained this this is something that I asked once as well just because um, someone's not sinning doesn't mean they're getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they have to consciously not be sinning as a result of their obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if I'm just sitting in a room and it just so happens that I'm not committing any sins that's not going to be enough for spiritual growth yes it is enough to not deserve punishment. But something to keep in mind is that the real elevation and growth happens when something haram actually comes up and I actively, consciously stay away from it, refrain from it as a result of my fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or as a result of my hub of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. Now someone might say, well in that case, we should always be putting ourselves in a situation where haram comes up actually. The answer to that will be, don't worry, enough haram is out there and will come up. Don't think that you have to ask for haram to come up so that you now um, have a test to deal with that you can elevate through. No, there will be enough haram in our lives, trust me. Especially if we're living amongst each other. There will be a lot of things that come up. Alright, so that was taqwa, those three pillars of it. He moves on now. He explains some more points I think are important. He says that 
taqwa, and he, do, he says a lot of other things too, which I found to be kind of irrelevant to the topic. So I'm going to be mentioning the ones that are relevant to the topic of taqwa. Uh, because once again, these are sessions of his that he's speaking to people. These are dars akhlaq that he's actually delivered, right, as lectures. And so these have been transcribed. Sometimes in the middle, he might go on a tangent. He might open a parenthesis. And so when we're studying the book, that's actually a transcription of his lectures, we might skip some parts that are not going to be relevant to the topic. So the parts that are relevant and are important in my opinion are the following. Number one, he says that taqwa revolves around the commands of Allah. Okay, If taqwa means fear of God and then staying away from that which is going to get us in trouble and doing that with the intention of getting closer to Him. So it shows that the main ingredient here is His commands, the do's and don'ts. He says there are three approaches to this. Three ways one can approach this. Number one, to have taqwa when it comes to his commands. Taqwa of the body, he calls it, which will get you Jannah as a result. Okay, that's pretty cool. Number two, taqwa of the heart, he says. And that is that, not that I am just having taqwa of the body trying to get to Jannah. Now, we, you know, we've talked about this before as well, but I want to read to you how he words it. It sounds kind of like the, what we've talked about before about, you know, some people doing it for Jannah, some people doing it out of fear, and some people doing it for Allah. But look at the way he words it here so that it's not as repetitive as we think. He says there's one group, there's one approach who, when it comes to their actions, when it comes to taqwa of the body, as I said, they have, they, 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 they refrain from sin. These people will be saved from Jahannam, he says. But he says, look, sometimes it is such that a person will see themselves, will, will want to honor themselves, they think of themselves highly, they respect themselves, not in a bad way, in a good way. And they love themselves, and this is something I always say actually, I always say, hey brothers, sisters, let's respect ourselves. Let's respect ourselves in, in the sense that we are going to secure our akhirah for ourselves, the same way we respect ourselves when it comes to securing a good future for ourselves, having a good job, etc., I don't want to have to rely on anybody else, right? So I respect myself first and foremost. So it's not a bad respect, this is a good respect. Here he says, some people, they have respect for themselves. They have honor and dignity. And so they want to make sure that they are saving themselves from adab of the akhirah. And so as a result, they will not taint themselves with sin. He says, this person, although they are abiding by the rules and laws, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have taqwa this is a badani taqwa a bodily taqwa which is good and we'll get the job done inshallah and many of us including myself are here at this level so here what is everything revolving around it's revolving around me my honor my greatness my respect then he says it moves on there's a group that there's an approach that's higher than this one. There's a perspective and point of view that's higher than this one. These people, they say, look, we have to do ta'zim of sha'airullah. We have to honor those things that have to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a, if this is a, an order of God, then I have to follow the command of God. Forget about me. It's all about God's commands. These people, he says, are also going to be rescued from the hellfire, they have taqwa of the qalb, taqwa of the heart. 
because they're following the command of God because it is the command of God not because it is going to guarantee Jannah, Jahannam, whatever okay so that's number two he says he makes a nice point here he says look this is cool and all the problem is if you want to call it a problem of course for me this is not a problem because I'm not even at this stage but he says the problem here is that as you go through these commands of God and you honoring Allah th is through his commands what if these commands eventually end what if these commands it reaches a point in the Akhirah even he says he says, in the Akhirah, there is no more wajib and haram. So does that mean that the honor of God now ended? If the only way you are showing your respect to Allah and you are honoring Allah is through His commands, that means everything revolves around His commands. So this will persist as long as there are commands. What if a day comes, there are no commands anymore, like in Yawm Al-Qiyamah? In Yawm Al-Qiyamah, there is no wajib and haram. So does that mean that everything is going to end there? And so he says, this is a middle level and stage there's more actually and you can guess what the more is going to be for him Ayatollah Jawadi he goes on to say this he says there's a third approach there's a third point of view that says that we are going to follow the wajib the haram of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Jahannam Jannah none of this not even because these are the commands of God but rather because we have one primary beloved entity which is Allah okay I want you to pay attention because there's a subtle difference between this one and the second group Allah is the only beloved is the only primary one that we are supposed to be in love with anything that has anything to do with Allah is going to also be beloved but a secondary thing it's at the end of the day, it will also be loved because Allah has something to do with it. So the previous one said, oh, it's just God's commands. This one says, no, no, God because He is the Beloved. Anything that has anything to do with Him is also going to be Beloved. What do you do when you, ha when you have love for something? You honor it, you respect it, you go by it. You make sure that it ha you, you, have, uh, you have secured that thing's satisfaction. So yes, the commands of God I follow them because they're the commands of God. Why? Because of the love aspect that's in there. Allah is al-mahboob bil-asala, he says. Bil-asala means primarily, originally. And so that will the, the love from that will emanate and, and spread to anything else that is linked to him, is mansoob to him, he says, which is his commands as well. His commands have to do with him. And so since they have to do with him, I love his commands too. And that's why I follow them. So here there is no talk of Jannah, Jahannam anymore. And then he gives an example for this. He says, look, this understanding, this approach, we can also look at it in this way. That everything that we have, this might be a second approach actually in this third category. So one way to look at it is that the love of Allah rubs off on anything that is attributed to Him, associated with Him. There's also another way to look at it in this third category, in this third approach. And that is that, look, everything belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything is a trust, an amana, a divine amana in our hands, including ourselves. 
So we are not allowed to do anything that we like to this body or with this body. He gives an example. He says, look, if our wealth belonged to us and it really belonged to us, we, were not, we, would, we would be able to do whatever we like in regards to it. But Israf, for example, is not allowed when it comes to our wealth, is it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you decide to just throw your money in the, in the sea, you're going to be punished for that because it's Israf. You're not allowed to do whatever you want with your money. I thought it was my money. No, that's not. As, as a matter of fact, that's something that goes against some of the things you see in, our, in the culture we're in today. It all belongs to me. I can do whatever I want with it. I can do what. No, you can't. You're not the, you're not the Malik al-Haqiqi of it the real possessor of it. So he gives the example of wealth. He says the same thing applies to ourselves, our nafs, our soul, everything, our body. Allah has given it to us to use. And so he has made us wakils and agents in using whatever he's given us. And so if you're familiar with the rules, Islamic laws and fiqh of wakala, agency, you'll know that you can only use something, consume something to the extent that the, the main possessor of it has allowed you to. If someone gives me a pencil and only wants me to write good things with it, I can't write bad things with it. It's just how it is. So I, I have been given agency and permission to use it, but for certain things, because it doesn't belong to me, I can't do whatever I want with it. He says this is also part of that third approach that, okay, I have whatever I have of my life, of my time, of my soul, of my body, all of that, but let me see to what extent Allah has given me wakala to use it in. I've only, I, I've only been permission, given permission and agency to use it within this framework and within these boundaries and the confines of Islamic law, which are the wajib and haram. And so you see this has tawheed written all over it. Yeah. So he says these are the different approaches as well when it comes to the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course this last one being this last one that had two approaches within it being the highest of them all. So the final point he wants to make in this whole story of taqwa is how important this taqwa is when it comes to iman. Now this is going to be something that I personally I, I always talk about and um, I've heard the greats talk about. That is the impact and effect of amal on ma'rifah and ilm. So we have cognition, we have ma'rifah, we have knowledge on one side. We have amal and practice on another side. And, I said, and I, as I've said before, in conventional Islamic theology, these two will be separated from each other. You are going to be a Muslim, a mu'min, even if you don't practice properly, right? A person is a Muslim if they have the right beliefs, even if they don't act upon those beliefs. If a person just chooses not to pray, can I call them a kafir all of a sudden? No, I can't. You're not a kafir until you go against one of those main tenets of Islam. Tawheed, nubuwa, ma'ad. Right? Or you're not going to be Shia if you're not believing in imamah, for example. Alright, so knowledge, belief, these things are on one side usually. And on the other side, you have actions. But when it comes to spiritual growth, you have one thing. And that is referred to as Iman. Spiritual growth. Alright? Iman. Now, this is something one of these greats that we would see a lot growing up back in the day, back home. 
he was always talking about how high or low someone's iman is in the context of spirituality and spiritual growth. So you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, iman, faith. Doesn't faith have to do with the beliefs and the belief system? I believe in one God, I believe in prophethood, I believe in resurrection and the, in the hereafter, so I have faith. And faith is not something that has different grades when you look at it like this. Either you believe in it or you don't. If I have belief in all three, I am a faithful person. If I have doubt in one or more of these three, I'm not a faithful person. Khalas, finished. There is no in-between. There's no grading here. But in the context of spirituality, spiritual growth, Iman has grades. Iman has grades. Now some people, they you see this, they try to raise their faith and the level of their faith through what? Through studying philosophy, for example. Through solidifying their Islamic beliefs by attending theological classes. Okay, that's great. But this is going back to faith in that sense, in that basic sense that I talked about. The theological sense of the term. Not in the spiritual sense of the term. In the spiritual sense of the term, you don't need to be a philosopher. You don't need to have a, a good grasp of theological arguments and whatnot. You can be a Bedouin and have the strongest Iman and you can be a philosopher and have the weakest Iman. And when I say philosopher, I'm not talking about no Western atheist philosopher. No, no, I'm talking about a Muslim philosopher. Okay? You can, have, you can be a Muslim philosopher but have the weakest Iman. This would happen all the time. We would ask this great, we would ask him, or others, we would see others asking. We would ask them three, four times. We'd see that he's giving the same answer, so we wouldn't ask anymore. But others we would see who would come and ask. This was the same answer he would give. Allah, I want to have a stronger, I want to grow in spirituality. I want to grow in spirituality. What was his answer? His answer would always be, well, your iman is weak. You need to strengthen your iman with taqwa. That's what he would say. Strengthen your iman with taqwa. Well, well, I wanna, well, how do I do taqwa? He would say, just continue the wajib and haram. And if the time comes, maybe a little bit more than that as well. But wait a minute. Your taqwa has to do with action, do's and don'ts. But then you're saying my iman has to go up for my spirituality to go up. Iman, doesn't iman mean faith? This is where, no. In a spiritual context, taqwa, which is amal and action, and faith and ma'rifah come together to make one thing. There is no two things here. In a spirituality context, we only have one thing, Iman. The stronger the Iman, yes, the stronger the spirituality. The weaker the Iman, the weaker the spirituality. And this Iman revolves around Amal, just like it revolves around Ilm. Now I want to share with you three or four hadiths. He's brought one of these hadiths, but there are a few more that really drive this point home. Some people think that they have to go and study philosophy. Philosophy is great, all right? Unless you're anti-philosophy. But for those who are not anti-philosophy, philosophy is great. It can solve a lot of your issues and maybe add some more problems to you. But like, uh, theoretically speaking, of course. But I don't care. Like, if you're a philosopher, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the taqwa part, you're not going to reach that spiritual growth that you want. And vice versa. Even if you don't have philosophy, you're a... You're an illiterate, Islamically illiterate individual, but you have the basics and you act upon those basics, you have a bigger chance of making it. And that's why these stories of people who actually kind of like made it, let's, let's call it making it, when you read their stories, when you look at them, 
you find that usually they're like just normal people. Yeah? Lots of times you find that they're normal people. Karbalai Kazim. Anyone heard of him? Karbalai Kazim. Just a normal guy. A normal guy. Even illiterate. He couldn't read Arabic. In some village in Iran or something. Before you know it, this guy can read the Quran forwards, backwards, in, out. Aytullah Burujerdi tested him. Others tested him. What'd you do? Well, I had taqwa in the moment of testing of Allah. I had taqwa. And this person's iman rises so much as a result of that taqwa that Allah gives him certain things. This person, they tested him. It's interesting. He, there's a book on him actually in Farsi. I don't think it's been translated. Karbalai Kazim. I think I went to his grave actually. is in Qum, if I'm not mistaken. A villager who can't even read or write all of a sudden can recite Quran. They put Arabic text in front of him. You've probably heard of this from me before, some of you. They put Arabic text in front of him. He can point out where is Quran, which part of it is Quran, which part of it is not Quran. How do you know? He says, this one has light, this one doesn't. And it reminds me of that joke. The guy, he got into an argument with an Arab uh, person. This Arab person started cursing them out in Arabic. So this other person who was not Arab starts laughing. They're like, why are you laughing? He's cursing you. And he says, no, 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 he's, not. He's, he's reciting Quran at me. This person thought all Arabic equals Quran. <laughs> Some people are like that. They think all, any Arabic will equal Quran. So they would put this text in front of him and he would be able to point it out because no, not all Arabic is the same. Arabic of the Quran carries nur with it. This person is seeing the nur. So I don't care about philosophy. Alright? I care about taqwa. That's what strengthens iman. So there is that strong bond between the two. So now, that introduction was for these hadiths here. It says that the sixth Imam alayhi salam, he said, لا يقبل الله عز وجل عملا إلا بمعرفة That Allah doesn't accept any amal, anything we do, except that it's preceded by ma'rifah. So this idea of, oh, there are a lot of good people out there. Okay, there are a lot of good people out there, but if you want a lot to accept, whatever accepting means here, accept your deed, there must be a little bit of an understanding of God beforehand. I'm doing this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, what is your perception of Allah, the, the Creator? Finish, that's, all, that's good enough. The Lord, the Almighty. It's good enough. There has to be some ma'rifah there. Or else you can't just randomly be doing something good. You don't believe in God and then say, Oh Allah, accept from Him or her. No, there has to be a little bit of ma'rifah before. So it says, Allah will accept if it's preceded by ma'rifah. Okay. وَلَا مَعْرِفَةَ إِلَّا بِعَمَلٍ But then it says, there's no ma'rifah except you have amal. So this might sound like it's a, a daur, they call it, circular. It gets becomes a it's going to infinitely just circul circulate around itself, you know, circular argument kind of thing. Wait a minute. To have ma'rifah, we have to have amal. But to have amal, we have to have ma'rifah before it. Which one are we supposed to have first? That's the question. And the answer will be given, yeah. What is meant here is that there go there's going to be an initial basic ma'rifah of Allah. Just the fact that He's the Creator, for example. Action will come afterwards, although it's a little, it's it's going to be minute, because the ma'rifah is minute. But that that amal will cause that ma'rifah to grow more. How does that ma'rifah of Allah grow more through Allah's blessing? As a result of that, a greater ma'rifah will now entail a greater amal after it. 
It might even be the same salawat that you recite, but because now there's a greater ma'rifah behind it, that same salawat that you were reciting might carry even more value. So then, a greater ma'rifah will bring about a greater amal, but for that greater amal to come, you, you have to not be lazy, so it's still you're doing some work here. As a result of doing some work, there will be more ma'rifah that comes again. And it just goes on like that. So like, we can look at taqwa, and observing the wajib and haram of Allah as a way to save ourselves from the hellfire, but we can also see it as every single haram that comes up is an opportunity for me to gain more ma'rifah. Although, don't expect to see the angels right after like a haram that we avoid, but we don't know it. There is growth after every single wajib or haram that we observe. That's how we can look at it. This is growth for me. This is the opportunity for growth. Growth ain't going to happen when I'm just sitting at home and nothing's going on. Growth happens when I live the life that I'm supposed to live and then Allah throws these things at me. That's why we're here. That's why we're in a material world. To choose. So, wala ma'rifa illa bi'amal. Don't So I thought ma'rifa comes through philosophy, not according to this hadith. To this according to this hadith, ma'rifa comes as a result of amal. So whoever has ma'rifah, that ma'rifah should push them towards amal. Or else you can't call it ma'rifah anymore. This is important. And whoever doesn't have amal, you can never say that they have ma'rifah. They might have philosophy. They might have facts and data and information. But that's not mad. That's not going to help them when it comes to the spiritual growth. And so, if they, if there's an alim who doesn't act upon their knowledge, then they're not really an alim. Alim doesn't here mean sheikh or anything. Anyone who has any knowledge, they just have information. But look at how it ends. Oh man, this line is beautiful. That look, Iman, some of it comes from other parts of it. Iman supplements itself. Iman has components and elements within it that are helping each other out. Just like a clock, just like a watch. The clock or the watch just won't work unless everything's working together. Iman is a package comprised of Amal and Ilm together. Ma'rifah and Ilm together. And as you push one, the other one grows alongside it. And the other one will push the other one. So when this great Arif Billah is asked, I want to grow spiritually, he says, well, growth doesn't happen unless Iman grows. He's not talking about Iman growing through philosophy. He's talking about Iman growing through continuous taqwa throughout our lives. He said this again and again and again. I mean, it reached the point where others, when we would see others come and ask him this question, we knew what the answer was going to be. Someone might say, no, tell me something new. But that's the thing. Like Ayatollah Bahjad would say this all the time. Like, if you act upon what you have, then Allah will give you the rest. Why are you looking for more? Usually we have not, usually we have not done what it takes, or else Allah will give us more. And that's where the second hadith comes in. Man amila bima alim ya'lam. You want more ma'rifah. You want to know what's next. If you are living up to what you know so far, no matter how basic it is, 
Allah will give you that which you don't know. So wow. I have to put my trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do what I have to do. Man amila bima alim ilma ma lam ya'lam. That's the second hadith. Third hadith. It's a long hadith, but this is the part I need. That the Imam says, when you follow this nafs, of course, it's in the context of the haram nafs, of course. This will get in the way of the haq. I'm trying to connect to haq here. And what is the manifestation of haq? What is the example and only example of haq? It is Allah. If there is any trace of haq in anything else other than Allah, it's because it's clinging to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the haq. Ittaba'ul hawa disconnects me from haq. When I'm disconnected from haq, can I, can I expect to get a share of haq through ma'rifah? No. Next hadith. This one's a nice one too. This one's pretty clear actually. It's like, this is like maybe one of the clearest hadiths for this in this regard. Al-ilmu maqroonun ila al-amal. That ilm and amal are always next to each other. They are the qareen of each other. Right? Qareena in Farsi means like when there's symmetry between things, when they're like connected to each other in a symmetrical way. Maqroonun, these are side by side. Ilm and amal, don't separate them. If you separate them, they're not what they really are. Amal is not going to be amal without ma'rifah. Ilm is not going to be ilm without amal. Okay? When it says these two have to come together, that means if they're separated, they don't exist. Al-ilmu maqroonun ila al-amal. Faman. Okay, look at this. Faman alima amila wa man amila alima. Like how much clearer do you want it to be that these two are enforcing each other, supplementing each other all the time? Al-ilmu maqroonun ila al-amal. So, man alima Amila. A person who has knowledge will act upon it. And whoever acts will have knowledge. Knowledge calls for amal, yearns for amal, thirsts for amal. It's calling. Yahtifu in Arabic, what does hatif mean? Hatif means uh, in classical Arabic, right? It means that, you know, it means phone, right? Do you guys still call it that? No, no. Jawal or something? What do you guys call it? Anyway, so, telefon, mobile, okay. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so even jawal is a classical Arabic. Like we used to call mobile phones jawal. You guys don't call it that. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> All right, so um, it says that ilm calls upon amal. فَإِنْ أَجَابَهُ وَإِلَّا ارْتَحَلَ عَنْهُ This is beautiful. It says, it's calling it, looking for it, yearning it, but if this amal never says لَبَّيْك, never answers this call, what, what happens? ارْتَحَلَ عَنْهُ Even the ilm is gonna go. Even the ilm is gonna go. So we can't call a person who doesn't act upon their knowledge, we can't call them alim. Straight up. This is so beautiful. This is a Qur'anic uh, perspective. Yes, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the theological perspective, the man-made theological perspective, let's call it. I don't even want to call it man-made, because in a sense, even the theological perspective 
comes from our sources. Our sources, our literature tells us that a Muslim, a mu'min, is a mu'min, is a Muslim, even if they don't practice necessarily. Usually this will be the case. Usually. There might be some exceptions, of course. So we'll have that. But we have to understand that is one perspective. And that is a theological one. But then you'll have, or a fiqhi one, legal one. But then you will have this one that says, look, if you want to secure things, secure spirituality, even sometimes secure Jannah, just knowledge is not going to be enough. This is something we've talked about before. You have a question? Oh, I thought you were, you know, sorry. All right. And finally, this one. This is in uh, Munajat Sha'baniya. Munajat Sha'baniya. Ayatullah Misbah Yazdi, Rahmatullah Alayh. I never thought I'd say that. He passed away recently, right? You never think that these people are going to pass away. Just in the past maybe week, we've lost a few more scholars. Yeah? Just two days ago, we lost the great uh, uh, Sheikh uh, Muhammad Radha Hakimi, for example. Like, you never think that you're going to lose these people, they, that they pass away. Right? People you would see. You would see them. Anyway, Ayatollah Nisbahiyazdi here, he had a nice explanation for this part of Munajat Sha'baniya, where the Imam or the Imams ask Allah wa alhimni walahan bidhikrika ila dhikrik. Oh Allah, grant me a walah, which I would probably translate to passion or obsession even. Walah, right? Grant me a passion through your dhikr towards your dhikr. What does that mean? What's it saying? His explanation was this, that it is through, of course, the ones who have what it, the, the pre, prerequisites for this, of course, that when they do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this dhikr of Allah pushes them towards more dhikr of Allah because they're in so love with it, so, so much love uh, uh, with it. They're in so much love with it. All right? So I'll give you an example. Like if you want to explode a bomb, there's always going to be a little explosion first within the bomb that explodes all, everything in it, right? Something like that. That was his explanation. He had a nice example, which I don't remember right now. But he's like, look, dhikr sometimes will push us towards more dhikr. Okay? What we're talking about now is the same thing. A little bit of amal, because unconditionally we can say, will bring about more ma'rifah, that more ma'rifah is going to push us towards more amal even. It's just going to snowball in a good way. Yeah. I'm saying all of this because, you know, you go around talking about these things. People, sometimes this is a foreign concept for them. It's a foreign idea. That What do you mean? To raise our iman, we have to have taqwa? To raise our iman, we have to study more philosophy. I mean, I've had these encounters. Bro, don't you already believe in You already believe in God. Don't worry about God. Like, you're not going to go against God or anything. We're not going to go against God. We believe in God. So philosophy is great because you can get a lot of details out of it regarding certain things. But you want to really grow? Look at Karbala Kazim. Look at, I don't know, Rajabali Khayyat. Look at these ones who weren't even sheikhs, you know, <laughs> like alims in the conventional uh, sense of the term. Look at, uh, what's his name? Even Sayyid Hashim Haddad, who's a blacksmith. We've talked about him before as well. And for them, a, a scholar of conventional Hausa studies might kind of smirk at them 
because they don't have this knowledge and philosophy they will look at us and smirk at us be like look at these guys you know all right so these are a few hadiths two more hadiths that he brings and and we'll end with some verses he also brings the ver that very famous uh, hadith in Nahj al-Balagha that Al-Iman, the Imam Ali السلام, he defines Iman. He says, Al-Iman, what is it? One, Ma'rifatun bil qalb. I don't need to translate that. Iqrarun bil lisan. You say something with your tongue even, you verbalize it. Wa'amalun bil arkan. But then, Amal with the body and the body parts, right? So I thought Iman was just ma'rifatun bil qalb. No, there's action also part of Iman. Lam yukallifullahu al-ibad al-ma'rifah wa lam yaj'al lahum ilayha sabila. Now this one uh, is a little deeper. I don't know if I should get into this one at all. Yeah, let's skip that one because that one's going to go a little deeper. All right. One last thing that he mentions are a couple of verses and he wants to draw a conclusion from that and then we will end. He says, look, in the Qur'an even, it talks about how if the people of the towns, the people of the villages, if they had only believed, if the, and as a result of believing they had had taqwa, we would have opened the doors to the blessings of the skies upon them. Okay? Sustenance, rizq. وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ الْقُرَىٰ آمَنُوا they had iman and then had taqwa next to it of course here iman will mean what? faith, believing because taqwa came next to it you can tell it's not talking about the spiritual sense of the term, that package actually Allah is separating them here you see I said that you know that idea is also rooted in our sources these are separate theoretically speaking so he says look if they had believed but believing isn't enough and had acted upon their beliefs, what would we have done in return? Lafatahna. Verily, we would have opened alayhim barakatin min as-sama'i wal ard. We would have showered upon them the barakat of the heavens and earth. Or the sky and earth. Here it says sama, which means sky, not heavens. Which probably means the physical sky, meaning rain here, right? And earth, whatever the earth can give out. And the other verse, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ أَقَامُوا التَّوْرَاةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ لَأَكَلُوا مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ وَمِنْ تَحْتِ أَرْجُلِهِمْ So that previous verse was Surah A'raf, verse 96. This one here is verse Surah Ma'idah, verse 66. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ أَقَامُوا If they had upheld the Torah, the Injil, I'm not going to call it the Bible, the Injil, and whatever was sent down to them, وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ From their Lord, what would have happened? They would have eaten from above their heads and from under their feet. Abundance, rizq, sustenance, all of that. Ayatullah Jawadi, he wants to draw a conclusion here. He says, of course it's talking about the physical blessings and everything. He says, we can also get a little irfani here. Because it's an irfani book, right? So, we can get a little irfani here and be like, what is the greatest sustenance of all? The greatest sustenance of all is ma'rifah. And so if a, per, if a people have iman and taqwa, and as a result that spiritual sense of the term iman rises in them, grows stronger in them, 
ma'rifah would have come down as a rizq upon them as well. So this is taqwa. And I think it's pretty basic. All in all, we have to try our best to refrain from the haram and to uphold the wajibat as much as possible. If a person reaches a point where they're doing that, and, they're conf- and every now and then if a mistake is, it takes place, they do tawbah, then it might be time to add some of the mustahabbat, some of the makruhat, observe those as well. Now these things usually, there will be a list and everyone knows what that list kind of looks like in the beginning of it, but then as it goes down more and more, that's when an ustad comes into the picture. Okay? Nowadays I've noticed people talk about ustad, ustad, and how they're connected with some ustad back home, and things like that. That is a general sense of the term ustad. Ustad there means something else. When I'm saying ustad here in this context, it's a special ustad that I don't think anybody really, not too many people have these days. Um, and there's some stories of Al Bahjat in regards to that. We don't have time for that. About how he had said why he doesn't have any students in that sense. But um, there is a list of mustahabbat even to add. And with that, even Iman grows more and more. But the mustahabbat won't work unless someone has taken care of the wajib and haram first. So the point is Iman has to grow. Iman only grows as a result of taqwa. And taqwa makes sure to get rid of all these barriers. Alright, so if this is how it works, these were the barriers and we went over them last week. Remember taqwa, we talked about, there were other things too. He's done with all of this list now, Ayatullah Jawadi. He's done with this list. He, after this, moves on into, the. Uh, here it says, maqamat, maqamat arifan. The ranks of the urafa. And the stages of Sayr and Suluk Of spiritual growth and all of that So it's going to be a little change and gears That we're going to have to make Moving on into this uh, section Which I would say this is the main portion of the book Inshallah ta'ala. Any questions before we end? Yeah? So I don't know um, which part of the talk you're referring to that you said in the beginning. I said we won't take anything from here to there. Just all we should know though is this, okay? To answer your question of what will we what will we be taking from here to there? The answer is we will be taking everything we do here to there. Everything. Okay? It'll just be translated to something else. So when I get angry at my mom or dad and I bottle it up because taqwa dictates that I do that, this anger management, this instance of anger management on August 25th, 2021 at 8.14pm, I will be taking that with me to the other side. They will take it for me. You don't have to worry about you know, uh, transportation fees and all that. They'll take it for you and that will translate into something else. You'll see it there but in a different way. But it's the exact same action you did here. That's why we're here. So no, I want to go against what I might have implied in the beginning. I don't know what I said in the beginning. What I'm trying to say is that, no, everything we take, everything we get there is what we took, take from here of our actions. And so make sure that we're taking the right stuff with us. We have to have taqwa governing our entire life. 
And for that to happen, we have to we have some awareness of you know what the wajib and haram of Allah are, inshallah. The third category, I might have confused you maybe. Third category has two parts to it. Okay? The third category, which he believes is the highest category and approach towards taqwa, is either, this is my, my understanding, you can either look at it from the perspective of Allah is the only beloved, and so his commands are also going to be beloved because it rubs off anything that has to do with Allah and is associated with Allah will also be beloved. So I'm in love with his commands, that's why I will honor them and I will respect them. That's one. Then there's another way to look at it, okay? This third category is to look at it like this, that we have been entrusted with something that does not belong to us. When something doesn't belong to you, but you can use it, that means you are a wakil in using it. So let us see to what extent Allah has given us wakala. Because I give the most respect to Allah, He's the owner. Whatever he says, he's the one. And he says, this is, I want you to do it within the confines of taqwa. And so that's why I do it the way I do it. Yeah? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yes? One story of Awa Bahjat. <laughs> it's not a long story, actually. It's just, it's not even a story, but. Like it's very famous how they would ask him, Oh Bachat, why aren't you like taking people's hands and actually, you know, continuing this path that you are the last one of kind of right now at least in your time. Right? Because if you go back you see that okay, Alama Qadi, he appointed somebody after himself, Shaykh Abbas Quchani his name was. Alama Qadi, I think he was a successor to Sayyid Ahmad Karbalai, his name was, and maybe a couple others. You go back, Mullah Hussein Quli Hamadani, like this this chain goes up. And so all of these have books on them, these individuals, they have stories, they're very nice. Anyway, Allah Bachat, you know what he had said? He said, I don't see the resolve. No one's ready. In my time, in my in this day and age, I don't see anybody ready that I can take their hand and show them. They, you have to reach a point where then there's a need for me. But there is nobody. And I don't blame him. Like I've seen stuff there, you know. You, we're all in love with, you know, making these gains, these spiritual gains. But then, after time passes, you see that the resolve for me personally is not there. I will stop at a certain point. I can't do more. All I can do is, oh Allah, I tried to this extent. That's about it, really. I can't do more. Like except this, as at least you know, to an extent, that kind of thing. So Allah, that's just like there's no need for me. Because the list that has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that list might go all the way down to a hundred maybe. He says, there are people that are just there at number two or three, item number two or three on the list, but they haven't moved farther than that. And what's the point? As a matter of fact, my my brother asked uh, uh, Bahjat this once. Right, not this brother that you know, not the other brother that you don't know of mine. That he would ask them about Ustad. And the answer was, Ustad for the first steps you don't need a special ustad anyone can be your ustad it's very simple because all you need is to go to the sources you can tell what is emphasized more in the sources of the a'mal that you need to do but then it's after that that there's some ijtihad that is needed so yeah that's in a, in a nutshell what he had said that look people aren't ready and so there's no point anyway 
Walhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah